This is a Sharp Old Hat podcast and my name is Chris. So Richard generously invited me to the guided tour of his fabulous studio in the Burren and again with a lot of patience showed me his work process and led me through a series of his works to edify my perception of visual art. Richard challenges himself every day in his work and was not shy to take on the challenge of my sometimes less than elaborate questions. For me, this was a feast. Round two. This is a conversation with Richard Hearns. Just point out one that's not complete. Okay. 
So for me, this painting needs more work. I've titled it, but I know it needs more work. It's, I've titled it there, it's yeah, okay. opalescent. opalescent. So you can see the kind of opal-like color yeah. in it, right? But I know myself that I need to pass over that image a couple more times to give it something else, to give it another layer, another dimension. To, I, the painting is telling me it needs uh -huh. more from me, more uh, concentration, more attention. But that's coming from you, how you correspond with your work. It's because I can't see, let's just say, the painting above it. Mm -hmm. That's obviously, um, it's, it's, it's a lot of green. On this one, it's a lot of blue or light blue yeah. in that. Is that painting complete? That Do one's complete. See, and how does this not tell you that it's incomplete? Can you describe it in some way what drives you to complete this one as opposed to that one? Yeah, it's about striking kind of a balance. So in this painting, I can clearly see a tonal range that, that is working in harmony. And in this, in the painting that I feel is incomplete, I can see how some sort of a glaze or working over, say, the dark bottom portion of the painting or the, the top light portion of the painting will give it more body. Mm -hmm. And that's what the painting is asking me to do because it's like you have a dialogue with the painting, Chris, and then um, you come into the room one day and the painting isn't talking to you in the same way. Okay. It's like it has a sort of a resonance and you know that you can't then imbue the, the surface with any with any anything more from yourself. But that answers then the question one would have as when do you know that the painting is finished? Obviously that is coming to you at a certain point where you just experience some sort of a feeling that oh no it's not done yet. Yep. So it's not immediately when you're putting the last stroke on the canvas that it's done. That happens, yeah. Oh, really? That happens sometimes, you know, when you just know okay. that you've made the last stroke. You don't necessarily have to go away and come back to a piece, but every piece, yeah. it demands something different from you a little bit. So you have to really just be in tune with the with the dialogue you're having. I wish I had a better, a different word for it, but you just have to be um, receptive to the feedback that the painting is giving you. And every painting kind of acts a little bit differently okay. as well. But how does it manifest itself? Can you describe it? Do you get some sort of a bellyache or um, a twinge in your fingers or something? How does a feeling that um, you need to do more or you're done manifest itself in you? Um, Oh, that's a great question. So I suppose I'm bringing, in a cerebral sense, I'm bringing a whole gamut of like knowledge and having looked at paintings and experience. And I feel like the creative process is like this, this cycle. Mm -hmm. It's like a plant seeding itself. It's like constantly reinventing itself all the time. And I think like musicians are constantly inspired by musicians and True. writers by writers and playwrights by playwrights and uh, you know painters by, by painters or by looking at paintings or just by experience out there. And that's what it's like for me. It's like this continuous cycle. So each painting is just, every time you paint, it's just informing you, it's helping you grow a little bit more. But do you get, um, say, um, from years and years ago, but um, when I did a little bit of songwriting, which was never published, the world is a better place for it, <laughs> but um, I would wake up in the middle of the night, kind of, or I would be driving somewhere, I would be in a pub or whatever it is, like, you know, and then all of a sudden it shoots through my head, like, you know, we could be having a conversation about football, and all of a sudden you probably get a blank stare from me, and shit, I have to go home, this is yeah. it. I just got this inspiration now, and, and then I kind of know, oh yeah, that's what that song needed, or that's what that particular lyric needed. I'm not a good musician, but I liked always the lyric side of things. 
that's what it needed. And I'm completely gone then in that moment. Do you get those moments very often where you, in the middle of the night or in the middle of dinner or whatever, just it shoots through you and I have to go back? On occasion, yeah, on occasion. But it's always different as well. Like um, sometimes you make more, you're making more informed, formal decisions, and you start with the formed, inf uh, formal decision. But then that decision takes you in kind of a different direction, and then you end up with something you would never have imagined. And I think that's the beauty of it. Like. Oftentimes, I don't want to have an end result. I want, a, I want to get a surprise. I want the painting to, or the composition to announce itself. And I feel like that happens, Chris, when I work, when I just work. All I have to do is be present. That's what it's about. It's just about my attention and being present. And then something could, could arrive. Like, we're looking at, this, this row of seven. Like, I never dreamt of any of these compositions, in a sense, when I started the canvas. Mm -hmm. But just by being at the surface, the painting kind of, you know, came to life. Mm -hmm. So I nearly, like, I'm just a conduit, kind of, for the painting to come through. And... Uh, and, and that's really how I approach it. I don't really have, there's, there's not that much method or methodology or, well, well there is methodology, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of surprise and chance involved. So the journey is the destination. The journey is the destination. The journey is the destination, and you don't know when you're going to kind of arrive. Yeah. You just have to be present. You just have to be there. And um, I think that's what brings me back. It's that surprise all the time, Chris. It's the surprise I get from making these pieces. But I'm looking at landscape. Um, yeah. Though it's abstract, I can clearly make out. This is um, sky with mountains um, and whatever's in front of the mountains. For sure. When you started with this particular painting, did you know that, the, that you wanted to paint a landscape? Or could this have been... A banana. <laughs> well, it's part of a series, so conceptually I've been thinking about the idea of landmarks. Okay. And the idea of landmarks was formed by, I'm looking here at three different kind of successive series that led me to landmarks. Yeah. So I made a body of work during COVID called Enclave. And, um, you know, in COVID, we, we kind of all created our own kind of cultural environment in a small space, like we were all nestled. Let me try to remember, I was drinking <laughs> with the neighbours most of the time. Oh, you yeah, were, weren't you? Yeah, of course, we were very kind of yeah. secluded. Secl like. We had our own, like we yeah. had our own kind yeah. of environment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was about kind of a small environment. Yeah. And then I made a series called Nomad, which was about leaving that secluded environment or that space and moving out into the world again. And then I started to think about ideas that kind of pertain to the sublime and the idea of the sublime and landscape. And they were more like large vistas or, you know, ideas of the sublime and large vistas. And then I came to this concept of landmarks, which is more like a concentration within the landscape. And so I have that idea at the back of my head when I'm making the paintings, but that's just the narrative to carry the work somewhere. Um, but I don't know, Chris, when, when the composition, like you're looking here at that piece, it's, it's a horizontal composition. Yeah. And I don't know at what stage the horizontal composition started to kind of announce itself, and I went with it. 
And I said, oh, I'm onto something here. This I get, um, but um, I, I basically wanted to know if you knew, but in this particular case, you knew that it was supposed to be a landscape, it was supposed to fit into um, a series of pictures dealing with the same theme. True. So it was not that you just arrived here one morning, had a coffee, and you started with the first stroke, and you didn't know what you were doing until it kind of evolved for yourself. So you had somewhat of an idea that this is going to be um, some starting point. Yeah, some starting point, Chris. But would it happen to you no. that you wouldn't have a starting point, or your starting point all of a sudden takes it somewhere completely different? Totally, that happens as well. Yeah. That happens as well. You know, sometimes it's just about making a mark, yeah. and then that mark informs the next mark, and the next yeah. mark, and the next mark. Because you're not always in the same mood, you're not always the same person. Every you're day different. you're a different person. Yeah. Actually, every hour you're a different person. You are. You know, um, yeah. yeah. It's funny, uh, Chris, because you're talking about, we're talking about landscape here, but have you noticed the format of the canvas is, is portrait and format? So in, you know, a typical landscape, it's, it's wide, it's yeah. more wide than yeah. it is tall, yeah. but these are tall, taller than they are wide. Yeah. So that also is kind of giving them a different... Was that your intention from the start? Or did it just occur that way with the first, second, third painting? Or might as well keep it in portrait format as opposed to landscape? Yeah. Um, I think some things to do with format when I'm making a series, I think the format's really important. So yeah. I decide, okay, I'm going to try and develop all of these canvases and they'll have kind of the same rhythm and the same, the same structure. Yeah. And that, that's a great place for me to start because I might just have stretched, you know, 10 canvases up and I've no idea, but at least the constraint of the, the canvas itself, the stretcher bars, is a starting point. Okay. You're just looking for a kind of a leaping off point, you know? When I look at this, um, obviously the big one there, the background there in your studio, um, that's, that's whatever, two meters by two meters, that is square, isn't it? It's actually not, it's off square, so it's like, it's 180 centimeters by 134. Two What's centimeters. It's an optical it, Yeah, it's because you're looking up at it, Chris, yeah. in the in the alcove. Oh yeah, probably. I don't see the whole picture. That's true. Like. That's this. That big piece is actually part of the uh, part of this series as well. Can yeah. can you see that the brush strokes kind of speak to some of these paintings down here as well? Do you can you make a link visually? I think I. No. Um, I think, no, it's, it's, I would need time with this. You, you introduced me to, like what I said to you earlier, um, you introduced me to a whole world that I didn't really know existed. I know there are people painting as much as I know that there are people flying to the moon. Mm -hmm. Never met them, but uh, you know, why do they do that? What do they do there? Like, so for me, I know that paintings exist, so therefore people who make paintings must exist, but I have no access to this, and I never met a painter who really um, basically painted. I've, I've met all sorts of visual artists, sculpture people, and all this. And for me, it's um, now standing here in the studio is a whole new experience, actually, to have someone explaining to me what this actually, the whole process embodies and what I'm looking at that sure. gives me some sort of an access to it. And now I probably would need to take time to just stand there and let it work. It's lovely that you say that, Chris, because paintings, I think, do demand of us a, a bit of time. And if you give them some time, yeah. they, can, they give you so much back. It's unbelievable. You, you, you know, if you, if you, and it's not like concentrated time, but if you just spend time with a painting, um, it does, it gives, it gives back so much and it gives back in different ways every day. And um, it's something I've always been, been really engaged with. Yeah. I took out um, three small little pieces to show you my evolution yeah. actually. Let me just show you here, and I can try and explain them for every, anybody that's listening to us. So, you know, when I was younger, I remember saying to you that I made, like, a lot of work in monotone. It was all drawing. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I went to Southeast Asia, mm. I started to see these kind of magenta colors, yeah. you know, kind of 
infused in every part of the landscape. And the image we're looking at here is over water towards a reef and there's a setting sun and a kind of a, an island motif. Yeah. That was a motif in my painting for a long time when I was younger. But again, it is a, a, a landscape. Yeah. But that's not abstract. Not what abstract. What we're looking at no. is the reproduction of a particular image. It is. It's an actual place. It's, yeah. it's the area that I met my wife, uh, Boo, in. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the land that we met on. And um, I worked in this vein for a couple of years with, the, with this kind of palette of colors. So you have all the colors like that are in your printer. You have process yellow, you have magenta, you have cyan blue, you have all of these kind of colors. And then if we jump forward a good bit, I have a little study here of a portrait I did of, um, of a girl um, when I studied uh, for a small period of time at the Art Students League of New York. And this is a painting from life. So she would have sat for about two and a half hours. Okay, yeah. And I would have made a painting just mm. like, like you in the room with me, just sitting yeah. with me. And um, that was a very informative period for me. And again, this is like a sketch. And um, I really enjoy working from life. How, how do you do this actually? Before we move on to the next one, yeah. because here I see, like this is something how I can appreciate, let's just say trap music, because it was a bit of a theme over the last couple of months. I simply don't like it, but I appreciate the craft in it. And yeah. here I can see there's a lot of craft in this. I yes. mean, not any idiot can just produce this because it took you a long time to develop the technique. And this is like a real kind of, it's a tradesman at work. Like. It is. Um, and in that, I can see that um, this is very difficult to do, whereas with abstract painting, I'm still not sure yeah. where the difficulty lies. And you explaining this actually brings it closer to me and hopefully to anybody who listens, yeah. that this is not just throwing, um, paint some, on splashing canvas. some paint on the canvas, uh, this actually does involve a very tedious process, but here I can instantly relate to, wow, this is tricky, the proportions, the coloring, the expression, all that to bring it onto um, a canvas. Mm -hmm. So that took you a long time to develop that technique alone. Sure. You didn't, you couldn't do that at the age of 15, say. No, I couldn't do that at the age of 15. But, and I'm not sure difficult is the right term, but it's definitely time making um, representational paintings and informing yourself around, you know, line and uh, color theory and all of those things. That all, you carry all that with you when you, when you come to, to make the, well, I carry oh, yeah. it with me when, it, when I come to make uh, decisions around the abstract painting. And the abstract painting is, is a constant balance between, you know, all that background and then new decision making. Mm. So um, this was a very important part of my, this is just part of my, mm -hmm. my background, my history of painting. Yeah. But it's, it's not the same for anybody else. Everybody is different, you know? Well, you spoke about the last time and you explained it very well, like, you know, that um, your whole career as such has been a journey from scribbling something um, when you were five years old all the way through your teens, then you made drawings um, of any kind of given situation, like your body's playing computer games, and then you moved on to arrive where you are now. Where I am now. And who knows where you be next year or in 10 years time. Exactly. Like. But uh, yeah. Exactly. The, the, the last uh, little canvas I took out is one of the last representational paintings I made yeah. um, because I haven't been making paintings in this vein for a long yeah. time. You said, yeah. And um, it's just um, objects that make, you know, for, for cooking, for baking. Yeah. So the composition shows eggs and butter and flour and buttermilk and 
um, some kind of grain yeah. and some kitchen utensils. And I'm only using them as an excuse to create a composition. Mm -hmm. So instead of reading across, like horizontally, uh, the composition in this painting, you're reading into the picture plane. Yeah. So it's like a reverse C shape, yeah. and your eye is led yeah. to the object, and maybe it comes back to the to the to the two eggs that are at the bottom of the object, yeah. and back in again. And um, for me, I found that still life painting was just um, just so much fun. Yeah. I was able to express myself with the paint in a very abstract way. I could apply the paint, I mean, Chris, in a very abstract way. It was very freeing for me. So again, you can see that it's representational, but there's an abstract quality to it as well. And I How just love that. Actually, this, this is fascinating because the first thing I actually spotted were the eggs. Um, so there are eggs in the bottom left, and I started with the eggs and went anti-clockwise uh, to 12 o'clock to the jar and, and the milk. Mm -hmm. um, how did you actually, did, was the thought into leading me this way? Yes, it was. It's about leading the eye. So, oh, oh this is interesting. So, like, in a sense, this sort of painting is like a dictatorship. Yeah, yeah. Like, in the Western world, we read kind of left to right. Of course. So our eye is naturally kind of moving in yeah. that direction. Whereas I feel like the abstraction is much less of a dictatorship, but more, it's more open. It's yeah. more of a democracy. You can, <laughs> you know, like, you can look into it and you can project more of yourself. Whereas I'm actually leading the eye in this. And that's just something that I learned to do because I know quite a lot about composition yeah. and how we read a painting. It's a magic trick to me because I should have started at 12 o'clock, you go from the top uh, left and obviously as we read from left to right, I should have then started immediately with the jar mm -hmm. and lead down to the X then, yeah. so there's not left yeah. to, to see. But why did I start at the bottom I'll tell you, I can tell you exactly why though, I can tell you exactly why. You, you started there because the sharpest edges, so our eyes are trained to find edges. It's for danger so you don't hit them, and also the hunter-gatherer or whatever, you, 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 we, knew, we know to look for that. So if you look, that's the most rendered part of the image. It has the sharpest edges, it has the brightest kind of light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well. So your eye is automatically drawn to brighter things mm. as well. And then what I do is, it's sort of like the way you would light a theatre stage. You have an actor. The main actor is, is, is center stage. He's spotlift. And everything else is in relationship to that, to that, to that. He has to take the main, the main part of the stage, and that's what I did. It's a hierarchy of states, yeah. and uh, what happens is each of the objects gets a little bit looser in definition yeah, yeah, yeah. as they go back. Of course, the last one is glass and kind of blurry. Yes, like, you know, not the it's shot. like the background, isn't it, yeah. Chris? It's like the background. So yeah. it's a hierarchy of states, and you learn. I could show you lots yeah. of examples of that in my painting. So you basically just explained to me how you got the rabbit into the head, into the hat, like. Yeah, because to me trick. it's a magic trick. Like it is. It is. It's fascinating. It's a trick. It's a trick, and. Uh, Wow. Yeah, it's it's always been so much fun. Let me let me run in and just show you one more painting. I'm going to grab one out of the yeah, store. <laughs> um, this is proper mindfuck, Richard. Yeah, you're learning something. <laughs> Maybe I am too. It's good for me to ar articulate this stuff. So I'm just taking another. This is a great example of of what I was showing you. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's another painting with an egg. Of course, there's the blurry stuff there. Yeah, I you see it? Now. now that's the actor center stage. So this time... It's the sharp stuff. This is the sharp. And, and do you see there's, there's impasto or there's, yeah. there's thicker paint applied around yeah. that. So your eye just has to keep going back. And it, it will wander. 
yeah, yeah. And it'll do a little journey around and then back to the main focal <laughs> point. Yeah, but that's in the middle. I can see that that you would immediately focus on it. But now that you explained it to me, there's actually, you know, something you have learned you can't really unlearn. Now the next time I see a completely different painting in a completely different whatever setting, like you know, you'll be bringing that to us. Uh -huh. oh, I hope I haven't messed with your mind too much. <laughs> oh, but that's what I'm saying. It is kind I of a dictatorship. Yeah, I suppose I've, I've learned in a sense to kind of break those rules as well yeah. and play with those rules. Well, of course, yeah, once you master them, you can, you can play with the rules. And that, this is also an example of dark and light. <coughs> so yeah. I'm, by using light, there's a lot of darkness in this painting. Yeah. And by using light here as well, I'm leading your eye to the lighter areas all yeah, the time. Course, yeah. It's a bit so. like a DJ in a nightclub, you know, um, there's, there's a science behind the beats per minute, what they're playing, like particularly in those industrial music or techno music, like, you know, how they actually get you to... Building the crescendo to crescendo or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but ultimately, like, you know, they get you to do things, like, you know, to basically consume more, dance more, drink more water, take more drugs. Um, oh, right. Well, you're led by the beats per minute. Yeah. There's a science behind it, like, you know, so they can really exhaust you and you can't help it because you just take it in. You just can't help it but, you know, move. And when the beats die down a little bit or the bass line isn't as um, perceptible, like, you know, it's a visceral reaction, which is subconsciously, and they can make you do things. They're entrancing you, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah, with yeah, the yeah, yeah. And maybe that, that's a sort of visual that's entrancement. That's the trick to it's it in, in the visuals, like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always the difference um, between audio and visual, whereas audio we can never escape. It's always around us. We may be able to blur it out to a certain degree, the music in the background in a shopping center or whatever it is, but it's always there and we always take it in. Whereas anything visual can only be, we can only focus on one visual thing at a time, like whether it's a computer screen or a painting or, or the road, the road or whatever. Yeah. And, um, that is actually something where you, where I see that you have to spend time as a as a viewer of a painting with that painting in order to get a reaction. Whereas music or spoken word or whatever may be that's around us, we don't need that attention. Therefore, we don't need the time. It's ephemeral. We just have it in the moment, and um, the moment is gone, and the next moment arrives. And with a painting, it's it's permanent or the situation at least when you're looking at the painting has an aura of permanence to it until you move your face away or your eyes. Mm, they can, they can, they can slow you down. Yeah. Often when I'm in museums I get really frustrated when I see people looking, is it vicariously through the phone? They're, they're looking through the phone at the image and I'm like, no, <laughs> you need to be looking at the image, you know, yeah. so people are, are kind of... They're, they're glancing by. Now there can be fun walking into a space and being drawn to a certain image and walking past like 20 paintings to get to the painting that's calling you or whatever. Yeah. But, but I think paintings do make us slow down, Chris. Yeah. Well, your heart rate must be extremely low when you're here in, this, in the studio. Like your pulse goes down to more and less nothing because it's such calming area. I mean, it's, it's, it's a massively bright spot. It's a very high ceiling and you're surrounded by your own works and your, your passion basically. So when you come from the house after breakfast into this area, you must be kind of like you've been hit with a hammer. It is. It's a beautiful environment to be in. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's a lovely environment. And it, it is funny when I enter the space and I close the door, yeah. You know, yeah, my, actually I never really thought about it like that, but my body does change a little bit in yeah. the space. And then when you get into a rhythm, geez, hours and hours can go by um, and you just get lost in, in the work that you're making. You know, um, it's interesting, we've talked about still life and you've looked at some of the abstract painting, but um, I spent time in Barcelona in 2017. Do you remember I was telling you about yeah. that? And um, when I was there, uh, I worked with my friend Mark Redden. It was his studio space. And every night we were having discussions around why we paint, what brings us back to the studio every day, 
you know, yeah. what is this thing that we're, we're involved in and that we've kind of committed so, so, so deeply to? And from these discussions, a collaborative essay appeared. Mark helped me write this essay. And we, we talked back and forth for days and days. And the essay is called Completing the Circle. And um, maybe when we're here in the studio, I could try and recite the essay for you, Chris. Yeah, sure. And um, I think it'll, it could wrap things up quite well yeah. and give you maybe a little bit more of an insight because I talk about the representational image mm -hmm. and I also talk about the abstraction in it. Yeah, that'd be cool, actually. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to sit down but for how, a minute in the how did you? Uh, um, how long did you spend with your buddy Mark then? Oh. Was it like a summer or something, a couple of months? It was a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a couple of months. And uh, I had Mark driven demented because I had him kind of typing as we were chatting and there was a lot of back and forth, but uh, it was, what came out of it was really interesting. And I know this was written back in 2017, and I know again that I'm a really completely different person now. Of course. But so much of that essay still rings true. And uh, rather than, rather than uh, telling you about it when we met last, I think it was kind of nice to be in the space with the paintings. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and that maybe I could recite this for you. Yeah. So let me, let me give this a shot, okay? So it's yeah. called Completing the Circle. So, Completing the Circle. Approaching the canvas with a loaded brush, in comfort or with the pressure to perform, but always with the truth and acceptance that this is what you should be doing, that there's nothing else to do, you are removed from yourself and the painter is working. Not as a painter painting pictures, like the ones I was showing you, but as an artist painting paint. In conversations, we discussed the techniques and challenges of paint and all the possibilities. How to build trust, resist doubt, resist outside interference. The artist knows the paint, the techniques and traditions of oil painting, how to apply it to make like a representational image. But in this body of work, I wish to disassociate from the quantifiable and the known. The spiritual quality of paint takes precedence. We talked a lot about spirit, Chris. How to feed a painting with spirit. How the medium of paint is charged and how we attempt to render capture and to recognize the moment that paint, intuition and skill come together. When the circle is complete and the energy is that's spent is balanced and floating in meaningful ratios on the canvas. The artist gives life to a flat surface. He or she wills the image into existence without a preconceived idea of how it must be. Each approach to the canvas then is loaded with emotions, bundles of emotions all channeled to the tip of my brush. And then the physical action of painting at this scale, the trained body trained by martial arts and exercise, that physical exertion at that moment in front of the canvas, relying on my training and a profound intent. All thoughts and emotions spinning in a huge circular chamber looking for an opening, like the large Hadron Collider, which was built to address some of the unsolved questions of physics. My emotions are running at quantum speed. It's as if I'm standing alone in the center of a square canvas and I open my eyes to an opponent and I must use the force of the opponent to defeat it. But there is no opponent, only myself, to counterweight, parry and engage. The artist is a huge emotional machine, a channel. He or she is working to prove something that can be felt but not fully understood, to create and discover something unique and exciting. Essentially, I believe that through the possibilities of paint, there are answers to life's unresolved questions and that true paint, something fundamental or eternal, can be revealed. Wow. Wow. So I, I decided wow. to commit that essay to memory. And um, yeah, again, so much of it just still rings true for me in my practice now.
Well, I can, I, I can see, I, I will have to go over this again because I like the impression. Again, this is an audio podcast and you paint with words, but I think it's um, what I get from the first time hearing this, um, I get a real passion and a, a very sincere attempt to describe what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. But I think I probably need to listen to this again Number and time. again because there's so much in it which I think bit by bit I need to process and relate to. Um, like this, this, this training bit, I think we spoke about it the last time, that uh, some of what you do is actually a muscle. It needs to be trained to come good. Like if you don't train, you get slack and it's not as good as you were when you trained. Like um, that resonated with me instantly, but there's so much more in it that I definitely will listen to this again. I, I thought of it because of that analogy of I'm not the at the moment, you know, I'm not the painter painting pictures, yeah. I'm the artist painting paint. Yeah. And I think there is kind of, there's this kind of grey area between craft and art and all of oh, those yeah. different things. And um, showing you the still life paintings made me think, oh, uh, if I could try and put that into words, yeah. you, know, you know, what would it be like? So. Did you, uh, you knew your body, Mark, before you worked together in Barcelona there for a couple of months, yeah? Yeah, we, we met when we were, before we even went to art college, uh, we met like on a portfolio preparation course and um, we just hit it off straight away. So it wasn't like two uh, people coming together in a small space for uh, a, a number no. of weeks or months, like, you know, because that could have been an awful collision too. No, yeah, totally. No, it wasn't like that at all. It, yeah, um, you knew what you were getting into and you traveled together. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Because I, yesterday, um, I was actually thinking, um, I, I was a Mayo had, a, had the weekend from hell and all this, like, but I was, um, thinking how do I get myself in the mood and prepare for our meeting this morning like and um, we wanted to pick a film what are we gonna watch like you know because I was just running around all weekend and last week as well that we wanted two hours just watch a movie and just flake out in front of the fireplace so um, I thought should we watch the Willem Dafoe Van Gogh movie uh, at Eternity's Gate I watched the trailer and I like William Dafoe, like, but I thought not only is it a little bit heavy because we just wanted to wedge out after the whole weekend. Um, no, this is a film about someone's mental illness, whether he's a painter or a musician or, I don't know, a cowboy, like, you know. Yeah. This is not the right preparation for this because you don't need to be the mad genius. You need to be the um, Sid Vicious, the, the, the ultimate hedonist, the drug abuser, to be a painter or a musician for that matter. Yeah. So yeah. you can be quite a sane person and be <laughs> reflective upon what you're doing while you're doing it. Sane and insane, it, it all probably helps. It all feeds the work, of course, you know, for yeah. sure. But yeah, that's a very, that would be a very intense uh, film to watch if you are trying to chill out. You feel so, yeah. so much empathy towards Absolutely. Vincent and everything like that. And that is was brilliant. Painting. Yeah. As such, like, you know, it just yeah. is, he happens to be a painter. I think it's really a film about Midlinus, like, yeah. not, not about. You, you have to watch the, Tur the Turner film, Chris. It's brilliant. You said it last yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to watch that. It's so good. Yesterday, I was with uh, an author called Niall Williams. I was oh, telling okay. you, yeah. yeah. And um, he lives down in South Clare, and uh, he he's he's an internationally like published author, oh, okay. and he produced he he wrote this beautiful book called Four Letters of Love. Oh, okay. And it's actually about a son, it's a son's vision of his father as a painter. Mm. It's about the son's perspective of growing up with a father who was obsessed with painting mm. and used to leave Dublin and come to the west of Ireland mm. to paint these mad pictures. Mm. Um, and uh, it's going to be released. It's being made into a motion picture now. Oh, cool. So, um, uh, let me see, Helen Bonin Carter, Okay. is in it, Pierce Brosnan okay. is in it, he, Pierce is the painter and um, what's his name, Gabriel Byrne is in it as well, okay. so it's like a really big production mm. and they finished 
the filming now. So I don't know when the release, I don't think anybody knows when the release date will be. But um, cool, yeah. that should be an interesting one to see as well. How much actually, like when I'm sitting here now and look at this, this scenery here, the burn mountains in front of us, like actually they're not mountains, they're hills, aren't they? Yeah. By definition, a mountain has to be of a certain height in order to be to qualify for a mountain, doesn't it? I believe so. They look big, though, don't they? They look well. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing. It, like it has a huge effect on me. Yeah. But how much do you have to be in a place like this? You worked all over the place in, yeah. in Thailand, in, in I don't. Spain, in America. I don't. But you um, don't need to be in this place. No, but this place is. In, in this, this place has definitely affected my work. Yeah. in a really deep way. I, I, I can't even come to terms with it. Yeah. The fact that I feel quite rooted for the first time here, yeah. because this is our home, it's, um, it's had a huge effect. And I can't really talk, talk about it yet, because yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand the effect yeah. that it's had on me, yeah. but it's definitely coming through, filtering through my work. You know, that big seven meter painting, I really feel like it's a reflection of this valley. It's a reflection of, of this environment. Um, oh, even I got this when I came in, yeah, sure. Um, and um, I think at the moment I'm painting the genius loci of this area, the spirit of this place. Yeah. That's, that's what I feel is coming through. So they're landscape, but they're actually, I think they're more about the spirit of, uh, of the area. How much actually, I meant, I was thinking about it all week, like um, how much spirituality is actually in your work? Are you a very spiritual person? Um, well, that's a very loaded question, Chris. Um, I think spirituality has... A is a huge component in painting because there's a there's a huge amount of kind of le leaping, leaping off. Yeah. Uh, there's, so there's a lot of faith um, in this practice in the way I make these paintings. Yeah. You kind of have to have a huge amount of faith and like like I said in in the es in the essay, you have to resist doubt and you have to build trust doubt and trust like there's all of that is definitely um, a huge component but I think um, it's also there's also like kind of ecology there's um, there's there's nature there's all of these different connections mm -hmm. and spirituality or spiritualism is all about connectivity and yeah. connections and um, for me, you know, there is, there's sort of a salvation in the act of painting yeah. as well. Um, so oftentimes I, I think about the eternal aspects or yeah. the spiritual aspects. Well, I would have imagined so anyway, because I was thinking about it quite, for quite a number of days, as I said, and um, I'd say in that sense, writing and um, painting are relatively similar because you are creating in a very slow process something that stays um, whereas just making music um, is ephemeral it's just yes. there and it goes and it's always you you play I don't know how many times Johnny Cash would have played for some prison blues every one of those thousands and thousands of times you would have played the song would have been different yeah uh, and in that, I believe that um, most writers or most painters definitely have the sort of the search in them anyway for something undefinable, intangible. Yeah. Has to be there for creating something that stays. For sure, for sure. Yeah, music always fascinates me that way that it's just out there in the ether. You know, yeah. like when a song is played, yeah. we're at a concert together, we experience that moment. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's intangible, it's just out there. But we've both experienced, I love, that's what I, 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 you know, about some sessions that I get to go, that I've gone to, got to go to here in County Clare. It's such a famous, um, it's such a renowned county for its music and for its musicians. I've experienced, I've had those experiences time and time again, Chris. And um, 
it's really hard to put words to, but it's so, I, that's what I feel so special about musicians, that they give of themselves at that moment, and then it's just like this vibration, it's just gone out into the world, and it's the community so experience. Yes, yeah. It's less the music itself, it's the communal experience, the dialogue between um, the performer and the audience. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. It's I, I think my paintings also, you know, when they go out into the world and when people are drawn to them or whatever, yes. it's, it's a beautiful thing. There's a sort of a resonance there. So they resonate with a certain person. Maybe they end up in, in the home with someone. They get so much enjoyment. Um, from living with the painting. And I feel like the painting has a life of its own as well. Mm. And sometimes the painting finds the person to connect with as well. It's, it's, it's a really, that's a beautiful thing to see the painting come full circle because the viewer completes the painting, you know? Yeah. But that has, that truly has a lot to do with the actual space. Um, if I hang up, um, that one painting on my living room wall or in the hallway. They're two very different things then. So true, yeah. Paintings, that's, uh, wherever a painting is shown, yeah. you know, there's a whole dialogue there. There's a whole context. The context yeah. is, is everything yeah. with painting as well, for sure. That's what you said uh, the last time about the curator of um, your exhibitions, um, that they have their own craft and their own art in actually composing the space and the order of the paintings. And you that's just right. let them be because that's what they know best. Like Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. But in, in, in this space, like, you know, I this is the first time actually I would wish that some listener could actually see it, but I'm still not doing video. Um, but this is such a great space and it's such a vast space here. Um, would you have painted, I'm sure, when you were younger and for economic reasons as well, would you have painted in a box in a tiny apartment or in a tiny oh. place or did you always then have to go out? No, like I... I always, I've painted in every different sort of situation, like um, when I travel I'd always be just like painting in my notebook or drawing in my notebook. But that's drawing, there's a big difference because painting is, is really expansive, yeah. really, it takes a lot of tools and a lot of preparation. I love that, that's really interesting, you use the word expansive, so like if I'm given a space I literally just fill it with work. That's, that's what I do, so it doesn't really matter how big the space is. And you can see here, like nearly every wall is covered in paintings at the moment because I have the space to like expand. And I think naturally you just do that. I, I, whatever, you know, whatever breath you're given, kind of, you kind of fill it as a visual artist. Um, yeah, I just keep thinking as I'm talking to you now, Chris, of when, when I was, which was a very informative period when I was spending time in Southeast Asia and I used to paint on like the porch of my bungalow or whatever. Yeah. But that would be full, that porch would be full of like little panels or yeah. things like that. So the reason you're looking at a 7.7 .7 meter long painting is because I actually have a wall that measures about 8 meters. Yeah, of course. And that's my painting wall and I said, I have to make a painting as big as that wall. Yeah. And that was my starting point. And then yeah. I could have never planned that the painting would be this thing, but it is. Yeah. And it's gone through so many different iterations, this painting that you're looking at, that really big piece. And I hope to bring it to Milan in, oh, really? for a show in um, May. So I will probably keep working on that painting until, you know, early next year. How do you know then? I mean, um, you have a show. Let's actually get back into more the mechanics of, of your work. Mm -hmm. um, you have a show, let's just say in Milan, could be anywhere else, on the 15th of April. Um, but you're still working on this. How much does it pain you to be under that pressure to have it completed? It's a blessing and a nightmare at the same time. Like, uh, having deadlines is really important to me, but um, 
because it's great to have something to work towards. It kind of, yeah. it pushes you, it advances you, it challenges you. And I'm always interested in, in the challenge, you know, and uh, that's, that's a big part of my process. But it's really helpful to, for me to have a deadline but the paintings don't have deadlines, you know. Some, some of them will be resolved and some will be just edited and put away for a while and I might come back, you know, circle back to them at a later date. Yeah. But particularly this, this massive painting here, almost eight, or five paintings, but almost eight meter in width they span and two meters high. Yeah. You have this massive um, open window here, this open space and the sun coming in. Um, and you have a very different place, I would imagine, in June than you would have in December. And therefore, you have a completely different perception of um, your work in progress so true. This time of the year, coming up to Christmas, then um, six months on. Yeah, that's so true. And I just have to remain um, truthful to the painting yeah. as I'm working on it in the winter, in the spring, in the summer. And maybe I can, you know, imbue the painting with all of those things. So all of those things will add to the, to the breadth of the work. Yeah. So that doesn't, doesn't really, I kind of like that I'm painting this, like I've nearly been painting it for a year yeah. and I will have been, you know, coming back to it on and off yeah. and it deserves that, it's a very big painting and it deserves that time and that effort, Chris, I think, you know. But how much, when you do contract work, um, how much does that pain you then to, um, Produce something, the deadline, we get that now, but something where you are basically, you've given guidelines, um, otherwise nobody would ask you to do something, sure. the rest you do yourself, but something that you turn, like internally you feel that's not complete or it's not good, but the client loves it. No, this is the best thing ever. How much does it pain you to give the baby away for adoption then? Um, there's one commission in this room at the moment. There, see these three paintings yeah. in front of us here? What are they? They're, they measure, so it's a triptych, right? Yeah. Which is... Um, they belong together. They belong the together, the three okay. of them. Triplets. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a triptych. And this is a commissioned project. And yeah. what do they, they, they measure about a meter and a half by a meter each. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was given a very loose uh, brief okay. and this is the result of that brief and the, the, cost of the end customer, the yeah. client, hasn't seen the images yet okay. but I know that they're, they're very close to a finish now, really close. But um, you've been given enough space to express yourself. Yeah. I need, I have to have free reign. Like I yeah. know when I did, I did a commission project for Adair Manor some years yeah. ago as well for, but all, all the client specified was, see they trust me because I'm yeah. like the painter, they're, they're sure. like, okay, we'll let you do the painting. But they said, we'd like you to do it within this format. Yeah. So this is the size. And it's kind of similar with this one. I, I met with this gentleman and he showed me the wall where he wanted this commissioned piece and he told me about a narrative that he'd like to explore mm -hmm. and this is the result yeah. of that. So he has to put his trust in me and then of course I'm, there's trepidation yeah. when I come to present these paintings to him. God, is he going to like them or whatever. But I've kind of learned to just trust myself now and people you, you trust me too. Enough and you are now yeah. in a space um, that, that you're, you have a reputation now that you learn to trust yourself a lot more like than maybe 10, maybe 20 years exactly. ago. Like. Exactly, but uh, the client has less input now than, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just... But this is, actually I lived in that place, that is uh, Italy. 
that's kind of oh, it's very Tuscan like, isn't it? Northern Central Italy, like that's we live, we live to Tuscany. Yeah, 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 yeah it's true. <laughs> this is a rolling hill. This is, this yeah. is the, the fields behind it. Yeah, like. and the kind of si cypress yeah. trees or whatever. I lived in that place. You did, did you? Yeah. So the colours are you relate to the colours? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was thinking actually about the Mount of Olives when I made this, yeah. um, and this is more about. Um, it's kind of like a tomb-like space where you're looking out and then I, the last panel here is kind of like a cruciform shape. Yeah. But here actually, I, I would have thought um, underwater actually. Yes, a few people not, have said that to yeah. Because of the, the colours, like the you know, colors, instantly. Purple and blue. I'm not a deep sea diver, but this is what you get from deep sea diving documentaries. Like, uh, no, no, you're absolutely right. This is, uh, this is fire. Like this. That's like fire, yeah. 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 Obviously, like, you know, this. Um, yeah, yeah, I get that. But that's. Um, <laughs> the next step is I will, I will kind of apply a varnish to them and I'll be able to see the darks much better, the darks will kind of come alive a little bit yeah. and then I'll be able to assess them. Yeah. But I really feel uh, like they're, they're very, very close to a finish now. I just said, I just said to laugh, you obviously didn't notice that, you know, that you changed the pictures around. Obviously you did because you did know because oh, you did it, yeah. but it was like, so what the fuck is he doing? But I, now that I have, that I've spoken with you for a number of hours now and, and kind of get into your head a little bit as well, because I'm interested in people, what they do, it was just the most natural thing for you. Something wasn't right, so you changed the, pic the I order actually, of the pictures. I actually forgot I did that just now as well. Of course you I didn't even realize I did that. Th this is like, you know, you pick your nose or you whatever. Yeah. yeah. Th this is and hilarious. That's what, it, that's what it's like in the studio. You just yeah. come in yeah. and you start to just feel your way around. And you, yeah. like, this is my natural environment. This is like my... Yeah my stomping ground. But you did it like I would just scratch the head like there's just the hair sticking out or whatever. <laughs> Nothing big, like, you know, it was the most natural thing, like... I actually forgot I did it, Chris. I actually forgot. <laughs> Till you reminded me, I didn't even realise I kind of did it. It was an automatic kind of response. Uh, that, and that's how I engage with yeah. the work, you know? Because sometimes when I come in at, at a certain stage, I have to assess my work. Yeah. It's like you listen back to a track and saying, yeah, yeah. you know, is this... Does it sound the way I want it to sound? Yeah. Should, the, should the bass line be a bit more? They're the darks. Should that's the, what the real musician will do. That's what you will. Yeah. Well, that's what you do too, Chris, you know, when you're, when you're making work. So sometimes I come in and I just literally start to look at things in relationship to each other. And how often actually, just, just in terms of regularity, how often would you change um, the whole outlook of the studio. So if I were to come back next week, next month, in four months time, how often would I see a different kind of setup? Setup. Um, I think when I'm like drawn a line on a body of work, the place will change dramatically. And I'm really close to like, you know, I feel like I'm really, I'd say by Christmas or a little after Christmas, yeah. I'll be really close to like putting these away yeah. until springtime. Yeah. So holding them for my exhibition in Milan, and then I'll have started to work on this. Yeah. And I have, I have three canvases of this size. They're very large, two meter by 1.2 meters. I have three of those. Yeah. You see them here as well, Chris? So very soon yeah. this place will change because I'll put these paintings away for that show in Milan. So. And then I'll start on my next body. Where do you get the canvases? Do you make them yourselves or do you buy them the way they are? So I, I have them, they're bespoke. They're yeah. fabricated by a company in Northern Ireland mm -hmm. uh, called Millican Brothers. And they're specialists yeah. and they use like poplar wood, which is stronger than pine. Okay. And they, they, like that's a bespoke commission. That, mm -hmm. that canvas is five meters by two. Yeah. And there's serious joinery in that oh, yeah, in course, order yeah. for it to be able to be disassembled, reassembled, it needs so it doesn't warp, it needs all of that. The tension. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. I stretched the, the canvas on that with the help of a friend of mine because yeah. I needed two people. It's that big. Yeah, yeah. And then I primed it, and I was exhausted after just priming yeah. the surface. It's so big. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll just show you the back of one of these, Chris. Look, yeah. it's poplar. They're really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, of course. So that it's is, beautiful joinery. That is solid, like yeah. yeah. And so Absolutely. I, 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 
I buy most of my canvases or uh, my stretcher bars and my materials through that company in Northern Ireland. This is, this is fascinating. Um, when you, um, like the first stroke, I mean, this is completely unrelated to music or writing because, I mean, if I fuck it up, I fuck it up and I take a new page. Like, But the first stroke on such, um, I would say, expensive piece of um, craftsmanship. Material, yeah. Are you shitting yourself? No, not really. Um, <laughs> people often talk about the white canvas like being yeah, yeah. Like the void. And I know a lot of artists say like they sit there and you know they can't yeah. they can't bring themselves to like work. I always I always kind of am formulating how am I going to be, how am I going to take action on that? Yeah. How am I going to make the first move? So no stage fright. No, not really. No. Yeah. I, with this one, if you'd like to know, yeah. from a practical standpoint, yeah. I plan on using a chalk line, you know, like a builder. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I've been doing a lot of renovation here and I was thinking about this. I'm going to use a chalk line and I'm going to mark out yeah. divine proportions on this canvas. It's like the way to, divi to divide the spaces into very meaningful um, ratios. Yeah. So I'm going to divide that canvas into kind of an armitage of lines. And then I'm gonna start painting. I suppose from a certain size or just sheer physical size, you actually need those tools as well, you know, uh, whatever, yeah. a three by three is manageable because you're in front of it. You have the whole width of it, like, you know, yeah. this obviously being five, six, seven, eight meters at times, like, you know, there, you need tools in order to get any kind of proper proportionality. Sure, for sure. Because when you're, you know, when you're up beside it, yeah. it's one thing, but then you step back, it's completely yeah. different. So yeah. there's a lot of that too. You need to, but that's how I thought about tackling that specific yeah. canvas. And at least that's somewhere to start. Okay. But this is obviously something like the work you perform, mainly like drawing, you would be sitting down, but painting, it's all, all standing up, isn't I, it? I stand most of the time. Some people, sit at their easel, you know, when oh, they're right. e that's easel painting and they uh, sit. I tend to stand uh, when I work. It's better from your back and everything uh, like that anyway, long term. Yeah. It's when we speak about those things like, you know, obviously now I am in my mid-50s, like, um, 53, is that mid-50s or early 50s? Well, I think never mind, I'm an old fuck. Just a baby. But it's, it's funny, like, you know, when um, Keith Richards, he, him being, being 80, like, but you know, uh, Pete Brazier, um, that lives around the corner from us. He would be in his mid-70s now, a pro okay. musician all his life, okay. and uh, simply the joints hurt too much to play the guitar, for example, wow. for extended periods, like, yeah. you know. Um, or you'd say, you're just sitting down, like, you know. But um, the older you get, you Repetitive strain. All those repetitive strain. Repetitive strain, like, yeah. you know. And, I mean, filling, like, your painting for hours yeah. on end, I mean, it is just... It's physical it's as well. It's physical work. And yeah. I definitely, that's why I, that's why I choose not to sit yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, it's just the way my practice has evolved, but yeah. there, there definitely is sometimes strain in my neck or my yeah. arm from working at this craft. And you're doing that for you gotta go, go for a good massage and, <laughs> you know, make sure you stretch and yeah. you're, Excuse me, you're even warm before, you know, you start to work. Yeah. So there is, there's a whole amount of yeah. preparation involved yeah. in working like this. Oh, this, is, this is absolutely brilliant, like we should have, we should have more concerts here. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah.